1: Good morning, and welcome to the H two P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host Gary Morgan, and joining me, as always, is the DK Pittsburgh Sports University of Pittsburgh Athletics beat reporter Corey Christen. Corey, how you doing today, brother?
0: It was a long-winded title. I, I got to shorten that subway. Just pit beat writer. Yeah, that's a long-winded title for you to say. <laughs> kudos on getting, kudos on getting through that without losing breath because I would have. Uh, I am I'm a doing-
1: seasoned presenter, my friend. I could do it.
0: <laughs> You're doing great, and uh, I'm doing great as well. Uh, week three in pit camp is in the books. We got one more to go, and then we are, as of this recording, 13 days away from brawl time, and that's so exciting. You could feel just the within the walls of the UPMC Rooney Complex over on the south side. You could feel that the players and the coaches, everybody's getting all jazzed up for it. So. Really exciting time of the year, as always, leading up to the start of the season. So, doing great, Gary. Thanks again. And, uh, yeah, we're remote again. Sorry, folks. uh, Couldn't get a live studio today. But we'll get back in there soon enough.
1: Yes, we will. Um, Yeah, but, I mean, football news aside, I think we should start with something else exciting. Let's start with a little bit of baseball talk, Corey. I mean, that's kind of my bread and butter anyway, but... uh Coach Bell was extended as Pitts baseball coach through 2027, and while his 83-87 and record over the last four seasons isn't that impressive, he's had the program pointed in the right direction for the last three years, I'd say, right?
0: He has, and he inherited the program in uh, 2018. I don't want to say it was in a bad spot, but it wasn't where you would think Pitt baseball should be. And over these last three seasons, Pitt has a above 500 record. They're 62 and 53 in these last three years under bell, including the uh, shortened 2020 season due to the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And look, I think this is a great thing for the university. I think this needed to be done. Um, Bell obviously has has brought in a lot of really good talent to the program as of recent, uh, just over the summer. You get what two draft picks, and uh, you get one draft pick, and you get two free agent deals, I should say, and then you have two more guys that are working in the MLB draft league right now. Which, for those that don't really know much about it, is you know it's it's a glorified college summer league in a lot of ways, and a lot of scouts are are watching this, and PBR Prep Baseball reports involved in it with analytics and you know, it's, a w- it's another avenue for players to in- work their way into uh, big league camp and into the minor leagues and into the uh, complex leagues that are down in Florida. So, you know, I think this is tremendous for the university. It's obviously tremendous for Coach Bell. You know, he's, he's building something at Pitt that at one point they were ranked 14 last year. You know, he's building a program that's seriously contending. They went to the ACC tournament semifinals. Mm-hmm. So, Good job on both parties and uh, looking forward to getting to see more Coach Bell and his team over the next few years.
1: So, on the recruiting front, you know, I think what a lot of people don't understand about baseball in college is it's not all scholarship athletes. In fact, it's very few. Some some teams have as little as four or five scholarships to give to to the baseball team. And anybody that follows Major League Baseball, you know that's not a lot of the team. So, how is, how is Bell – Balancing that,
0: you know, I think it's a matter of not just himself but also his staff finding ways to get creative with scouting talent, with what fits their mold, what fits their brand. Obviously, with guys like like Tatum Levens, like Baron Stewart, like Billy Corcoran, who you know were, were drafted and, and signed respectively to free agent deals. You know, you want to think about those arms. You want to promote those players too. You know, I mean, you got a catcher, you got two pitchers that are. Go into the show in some capacity, or at least to the minors, I should say. And then you have an infielder and an outfielder. So you're covered on, pun intended, all of your bases with how you're able to develop talent throughout your own system and throughout your own program. And, you know, that's kind of the mystique of what Coach Bell has been able to do. And look, Tatum Levins drafted in the eighth round by Seattle, the catcher. He's the highest draft pick since 2018, right before uh, bell took over with uh, RJ fear right. and Matt pittage selected sixth and eighth in those, in those years. So the sixth and eighth rounds, I should say, but you know, I, I think that you can use that as part of your branding. You could use that as part of your, Hey, listen, it wasn't all roses when I got here, but look what we have now. We have in, in right. ACC tournament semifinal. We have four players that were either dra- or three players. I keep, miscounting. I'm not a math guy. We have three players that were either drafted or signed as free agents to by MLB teams. We have scouts looking at our program. There's a lot more just within to promote and it's a little bit different than pro baseball, obviously, because pro baseball, you can offer money, you can draft them, you can scout them different ways. There's a lot more you could do with the pros with the pro circuit. But in college it's different in that you have to kind of let the program sell itself a little bit. And I think Coach Bell has done a great job over that over the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, it's a balancing act in, in in college baseball because, you know, you offer scholarships to guys that are likely to get picked in the first place somewhere else, and, you know, they may end up spurning you, and you don't know till right about, you know, now that it's going to happen. So you have to turn on a dime and set yourself up for the, for the next season one way or another. That's why there's so many legacy schools out there like um, Vandy, you know, tends to be one of those teams that just, you know, everybody wants to play there. Mm -hmm. And Pitt could become one of those if they can become a powerhouse in the ACC because there's really nobody that stepped up and stole that mantle.
0: I would argue Clemson is more ahead of Pitt in that regard at least. But you're right. There's no, let's call it blue blood, if you will. That term gets thrown around a lot with at least basketball, and they say that for football too. There's no blue blood program in the ACC. There's a a lot of potential for someone to step up to take that. Now, Clemson over the last, I would say, what, four, five, six years has had quite a few players drafted. And uh, I know Virginia has a couple of guys that were drafted recently. And, you know, there's going to be players here and there that will get picked up. But on a consistent basis, of course, when you think baseball powerhouses – across the nation what Vanderbilt you think Texas you think Oklahoma you think you think of schools in the south you know if you really want to corner your your northern market and your northeast market you know Pitt has as good of an opportunity as any especially with the way that coach Bill has built things back up again they won 29 games last year which I know 29 and um you know 29 and 27 not exactly the the greatest record on earth you know two games over 500 but you go to the ACC tournament semifinal, 29 wins are tied for the most since joining the ACC in 2014. They were ranked 14 at one point, and they won six series against ACC opponents, and they won 16 games in the league in and of itself. So there's a few things right there that you can sell to recruits that you could say, hey, we're building something here. And I'm not saying Pitt's going to be the next Vanderbilt. Let's, let's halt the brakes a little bit. A long way
1: to go for that. Yeah.
0: Right. But... You know, foundations have to be built, and, and this does take time, and who knows throughout 2027 where the program will be, but you have to feel good, again, about what Coach Bell's done, at least over these last three years, and, and building this program back to, let's be frank, where it probably should be.
1: Well, hey, uh, baseball. We talked baseball. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We're going to give the people what they want. They want some football. Mm-hmm. So let's get into it. Learn more at marines.com. Okay, and we're back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. And Corey, I shortened your title for you. You are now God of all things pit.
0: Oh, (laughs) an upgrade. Yeah. Over one Uh, second, we did that.
1: Yeah, it was really quick, so uh, we didn't even have a vote. But we're going to touch on someone uh, we brought up in our first episode, Frank Signetti Jr., and bro, this dude has coached names like Aaron Rodgers and Todd Gurley and Eli Manning. Since ESPN is going to go out there and say they're an NFL team, maybe that's fitting, no?
0: It's a fitting style for the offense, at least the pro-style offense, and you said it right there. Those are at least two Hall of Famers. Todd Gurley, obviously, once upon a time, uh, was a superstar in the NFL. Don't forget Sam Bradford, who was a number one overall pick. You know, if he wasn't injured, it, who knows where his right. career would be. But this is a pro style offense that Pitts going to run, and you know it's going to be different from what we've seen with Mark Whipple in in the past year, and of course with no Kenny Pickett, no Jordan Addison. Those are obvious major reasons why. Pitt had the number three scoring offense, number eight total offense. And, of course, you're going to take that into account when thinking, okay, where are they going to be this year with with regards to all of that? And, look, Pat Narduzzi, obviously Pitt's head coach, he's happy with it where everything is in terms of the offensive installs, in terms of, you know, he he said this, this is a direct quote. He says, they got a different flavor every day. And I think that's something really important to take in the context because Signetti isn't just – throwing vanilla at the defense he's trying different things out and they know how good pitts defense is too so of course when you you know the old cliche iron sharpens iron i've heard that only a hundred thousand times this summer (laughs) um
1: i think that's significant though because one of the things that that i think makes a good college offense is the ability to beat people different ways and the signature of Signetti' offense is is that he can beat you in different ways. If if you're going to make him pound you up the middle, he'll pound you up the middle. If you're going to make him go outside, he'll go outside. If you're going to make him throw deep, he'll throw deep.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the cool thing about it is we've talked last week. We've talked in in podcast past, and I've written about it about the offensive line in just about again five. Experienced redshirt seniors coming back. You have running back room that's, I'm not exaggerating, five deep. You have a wide receiver like Jared Wayne who has control of the room. You have two transfers in, Kanate Mumfield, Bud Means, who are looking to get a lot of playing time. There's not just Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison in this offense. Not that there was last year, but you're going to see Signetti run the ball more. You're going to see more Izzy Abanicanda. In fact, Narduzzi said on Thursday, you know, we asked him, like, we gotta get a thousand-yard rusher this year, and he basically said, expect it. So <laughs> if that shows how much running the football is on their mind and how much they think of and how highly they think of the Kanda, and Hammond and Davis and Flemister and company, you know, I think there's gonna be room for that. And once you, you know, the old, again, old football, right? Once you start the run, you get the run going, then it opens the pass, it opens play action, yada, yada, right? So yeah. so you got to counter, counter Gavin Bartholomew as well as a blocker and as a receiver. You got to counter all kinds of different guys on their offense. So this isn't just going to be about, and, and not that it was, again, they didn't throw the ball all the time last year, Pickett, Addison, and company. But there's going to be a little bit more emphasis on, Getting the ground again, cliche. Getting the ground game going and establishing the run and all of that. And by the way, these running backs can all block and they can all catch the ball pretty at a pretty decent level. If there's not one guy that's the strongest at it, there's somebody that's there to back him up. You know, Izzy may not be the strongest receiver, but you know, you may have a Sebo Flemister working. You may have a Rodney Hammond working. You just there's so many different angles that this offense is going to be able to throw at you. And, you know, whether it's Slovis or Patty, they still haven't decided publicly yet, whether it's Slovis or Patty, you know, there's going to be opportunity for just about everybody to get a little piece of the pie here. And I think that's what's going to be fascinating about this twenty twenty-two pit offense.
1: You figure without without Addison and Pickett, their offense probably is going to get about four or five weeks deep into the season before other teams really know who the standouts are you're not going to know which wide receiver to double team you're not going to know which h back to prepare for you're not going to know how much they're going to lean on the tight end you know there's a whole lot of unknowns i think they're going to have at the beginning of the season now that could also lead to them not figuring it out quite yet but go ahead no but it's promising i think as far as sneaking up on some people
0: and i was going to say it's important to note here while starter has not been named yet outside of the building and Nerdozi teased us on uh Friday today, as we record this, that, you know, he'll, we'll be the first to know. Don't worry. There's not going to be a random tweet that we know of. There's not going to be a, a leak anywhere. We'll in the media scrum will be the first to know. So until then, we're going to continue to speculate slow as to be Patty. And, uh, you got to keep in mind that both quarterbacks are different styles. Slovis, obviously, more of the traditional pocket passer. Patty, more prone to get out of the pocket. You can get plays to get him rolling out into to the outside. So there's that dynamic to worry about. At least if you're West Virginia, you're thinking about that right now. And and again, Narduzzi's not going to tip his hand anytime soon. So no, we're not going to speculate beyond. So when you consider that as well, what wide receiver or what running back may fit which quarterback a little bit better and the style of offense that, you know, Signetti is tailoring towards whether it's Slovis under center or Patty in the shotgun or, you know, Patty under center or Slovis in the shotgun, different mixes and matches, different looks, different combos, different. And again, you have that fortified, strong, big, old offensive line in front of you. That's, you know, regardless of the quarterback, regardless of the play, regardless of the scheme is going to be able to protect. So, you know, you have that as your as your back pocket, as your blue chip part of your offense, regardless. Right. So, all built
1: around a defense that's going to get the ball back a lot.
0: Yeah, and so. defenders, you know, we've talked to numerous defenders. And I think Brandon Hill said it on the uh, ACC Network show the other day, their, uh, their road show. They've been going around to all the different camps. He basically said, we want to create more turnovers, which for a defense that did that a lot last year and sacked the quarterback a lot last year and – you know, made huge plays when it mattered. Looking at you know the uh, look at it inside the Peach Bowl a little bit, and of course in the ACC Championship, that's high hopes. That that's exciting for the yeah. offense to hear. So you know, the more time that offense can spend on the field, the better. And again, with more emphasis on that run game, they'll be able to control the clock better. They'll be able to also rotate in fresh legs basically at will. So a lot to like about that potential and what Signetti could run coming into this year.
1: I mean, the only thing that I think we haven't touched on yet, because this is really about Signetti, is how he's going to find reps for all of the running backs that he's got in that room. Because I know you said it's about five or six deep, but legitimately four of them have a claim of some sort they could make to being the the starter, the feature back, if you will. I feel like Abanacanda is probably the leader in the clubhouse there, but he's also a little undersized
0: little bit but then again you have guys behind him that can complement that you have mm-hmm. vincent davis that can complement that rodney hammond got bigger and stronger this offseason he, he physically looks like he put on weight a good way he might
1: be the most complete package they have i would say
0: and he's just a sophomore you know yeah right think of the all of that depth right there and you know not one player that we've talked to has said, you know, I want the carries or, you know, he they have an unselfish room there, a selfless room. That's the word for it. So, I mean, I don't think it's going to be a matter of ego. I don't think it's going to be a matter of who gets the most carries or who wants the most carries. All of these running backs that we've talked to understands that there's not going to be a, a lead dog per se in terms of favoritism, in terms of, you know, Signetti's going to purposely run plays. There's even teases that there's going to be a hot hand approach. And they could definitely go that way. They could go the realistic way of, okay, we have Izzy designed for this. We have Vincent Davis designed for this. We have Sebo designed for this. We have Hammond designed for this, etc. Or they could just say, you know what? Sebo's breaking tackles in practice. Let's start him. They could say Izzy hasn't yeah. fumbled in two weeks. Let's start him. They could say Rodney Hammond, you know, had a good matchup against this defense. Let's start him. There's a lot of freedom with that running back room. So that's going to be the fun part about this is, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I I do think Izzy's going to get a good amount of playing time if he doesn't start the bulk of the games. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was a true timeshare, and that's not a knock on, you know, the offense or on either of the running backs. That's just a, a testament to how deep that room actually is.
1: Yeah, I mean, one more thing, and I didn't even plan on talking about this, but it just kind of came up in my head as we were talking. A lot of teams, a running back room that deep and talented would have absolutely led to transfers. Mm-hmm. How did Narduzzi avoid that?
0: That's a great question. That that's the question we've been asking too. Is why didn't you go play elsewhere, dude? Like you're getting pushed down, quote unquote, down the depth chart. But all of these running backs, they know Signetti's track record. They know how strong it is. They know the kind of offense that he could produce and put forward, and you got to keep in mind too. I think there's something to be said about coming off of a title defense, where guys like Izzy and, and Vince Davis and Roddy, they are well aware of what it takes to get to that level, and they're also probably well right. aware that they're going to get a little bit more of the of the cut here now that Kenny and Jordan are gone. Like they just know that they're going to run the football a little bit more. Not again, not that they didn't run it last year, but. I think that they're selling winning to the program. They're selling winning to the players, I should say. And they're selling the fact that every bit of the talent that these different guys have and, and what each of these guys can do differently is going to just fuel a little bit more in and add a little bit more and and contribute as much as possible towards another repeat. There's a lot of players in that locker room, to be frank with you, that care more about winning, which I know is kind of surprising to hear in the year 2022. But they care more about winning than they do their own stock in, in, in an NFL draft or in a mock draft or whatever it may be. You know, it's it's another old cliche. You know, if you do well enough, people will find you. You know, scouts will find you if you're good enough or talented yeah. enough or, or whatever you are. That's at any level. So that's a huge thing that this program is selling right now. Is hey, we've done this since you know Narduzzi got in, at, at Pitt in 2014. Since I would say about 2018, when they won the Coastal for the first time everything's just kind of stock rising, stock rising, stock rising, and of course last year with a um, with, with a ACC championship, there's just the stock is through the roof right now with this program and look, I know they were ranked 17th in the AP poll, and, and I know that a lot of hype is on Miami, but there's, there's ingredients there for a repeat, and I think that's exciting and players are feeling that as well
1: Hey, I'm a, personally a Pitt fan, I don't pretend to be uh, some kind of a journalist here I'm a pit fan. Seeing them 17 preseason, I'm on cloud nine already. So let's go. take a quick break. We'll come back and talk a little bit more about what uh, Corey may or may not have seen in practice. Back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Final thing we need to discuss this week, Corey, is really how the team looked. I mean, you've gotten to watch them practice now for a good week. It's the official bridge to the second half of camp now. I mean, I think it's time for a State of the Union.
0: What do you think (laughs) you've seen so far? State of the Union. I wasn't prepared for a speech. Um, Well, it's not going to be quite
1: that long and boring, but.
0: No no it'll be it'll be only 9 minutes no but no i mean look it, here's how they feel right now how they in that building how coach narduzzi how the players are feeling right now they feel like number 1 with the offensive install i'll start there they feel like they're ahead of schedule they've said that they feel that they feel that coach signetti has done a really fluid job of getting all the players acclimated Coach Narduzzi has talked up the transfers. So Bub Means, Kanate Mumfield, Sebo Flemister. Flemister, Narduzzi talked about it today. Um, he started off a little bit slow. He was still finishing up at Notre Dame, getting his degree and everything. But over the last few days, he said he's really picked up. So that's encouraging to hear. Um, a defense, a guy like Tyler Wilts, a guy like Shane Simon, a tight end, Carter Johnson. He really talked up the transfers and um, just how they're coming along over the last week because – he said this too, and and I like this point that Narduzzi made. You never know with transfers. Sometimes you can right. you can recruit them all you want. You could watch their tape all you want. You could you know get them the building all you want. But until you see them on the field, kind of fit in with your program, fit in with your players that are already there. You know, look at Flemister for example, right? You know, a guy that's played at Notre Dame, not a significant amount of playing time, but he was at least good enough to play a good amount of playing time, a good amount for Notre Dame. So where do you fit a guy like that into your running back group that we just talked about? That's four deep. So right. there's there's guys like that. There's Tyler Wilson, Shane Simon who are fighting for starting spots outside linebackers. There's Carter Johnson who's fighting for a number two tight end spot behind Gavin Bartholomew and uh, alongside Kai Wright, who's more of a blocker anyway. So anyway, a lot of the talk has been around the transfers around what they're doing and Narduzzi's happy with their progress. So, we're checking off these little boxes here, and, and that's that's a check mark as well. So you got installing the offense, which is important. You get the transfers fitting in, that's important. You also have you also have to talk about the consistency in the trenches, right? This yeah. team knows that it's built up front first, and that's both sides of the football. This team knows, and it's such a rarity. We talked about it with um, offensive line coach Dave Borbley about how rare this is where a college football program has five senior offensive linemen returning as starters that that it, that just doesn't happen. So this sure. team knows that its strengths are going to be in the trenches in a lot of different ways especially on the defense. Hababal Donato, College Canseirafelt players. And there's there's talk about John Morgan and talk about Deion Hayes as guys that are stepping up and rotating, you know, and, and finding ways to get to the quarterback while Guys like Canty and Baldonado draw double teams and draw attention away from those other two. Um, you know, you have all ACC talents returning, like Carter Warren. You have a guy like Brandon Hill, who's all who's an All-Conference caliber player. You have um, a Servassier Dennis. You know, the two leaders on this team, I think, are pretty clear on defense. It's Servassier Dennis, and on offense, this one might surprise you a bit. It's going to be Jared Wayne. Jared Wayne's a veteran presence that a lot of yeah. these new receivers. Again, Mumfield and, and uh, Beans, they're really turning to a to guy like Jared Wayne. And Gavin Bartholomew's even talked about Jared Wayne as a guy that's really taken this, this leadership role. Another thing that has impressed me, and we talked about this last week, Gary, about the assistant coaches and how many different voices this program actually has. And it's not just, you know, obviously position coaches, but there are so many voices getting into the heads of these players in a good way. It's not confusing. Everybody's on the same page. But you're not just getting. I said this last week. You're not getting seven Pat Ardouzes. You're getting a taste of a little bit of different something. Coach uh, Taekwon Underwood. I want to give him a shout out here because he's just he's getting a ton of credit from Ardouzi and from um, you know from the receivers and even from the defensive backs that we've asked about. You know about the wide wide receivers. Yeah. Like what are you seeing from these guys? And they're like, you know, whatever Coach Underwood's doing with them, it's working. So. That's another point of praise I wanted to give in, in this whole, uh, I guess it did come out to about eight minutes, this whole State of the Union. Um, <laughs> well,
1: everybody always talks about the trenches, and you touched on it again, and, and I think I think we feel pretty good about that. And on defense, the front seven, I think everybody has a lot of faith in. Mm-hmm. I think where, where you kind of have some question marks, and to be blunt, I don't hear anybody talk about them, which as a fan scares me a little bit, is the secondary. Mm-hmm. Is the secondary mature enough to to uh, make the uh, the pass rush count?
0: I love that question because you you hear the term coverage sacks all the time, right? You hear about yeah. you know if guys like Brandon Hill and Eric Hallett and the deep part of the secondary do their job in center field, then that frees up Aldonato Cansey whatnot. But it's funny you say that because today we just talked to uh, AJ Woods and MJ Devonshire about that about. You know, what is the secondary's bread and butter? You have a guy like Damari Mathis to replace, right? There's there's a lot of right. concern about who that second corner is going to be. But you have to consider, too, Devonshire Shire played some safety. He's moving up, so that's going to be an adjustment. This is going to be – I'm not going to say the weakest part of the team, but it's definitely going to be the part of the team that, you know, we're talking about how fortified the offensive line is and how fortified the defensive line is. This is the part where there could be a little more moving parts than than usual. Um, you got to look at Ryland Gandhi too, by the way. A true freshman, I think he was like the second. I don't have the twenty four seven rankings in front of me, but I think he was the second highest rated recruit in this past class. He's definitely yeah. one of the top. I know Bear was number one, Ryan Bear, but anyway, you know, there's talk about Ryland Gandhi getting some playing time at cornerback. That's the one position I would say, I guess, that's not as shored up. That's the phrase I'm looking for. It's the
1: most untested, to be sure, I think is probably mm-hmm. the best way to put it. Um, they're good athletes, but being a good athlete doesn't necessarily make a good cornerback. And that's why I think a lot of people are a little bit concerned about just mm-hmm. that the lack of depth there. I think they're an injury or two away from that secondary being kind of scary. So
0: mm-hmm. That's a fair assessment. I, I don't think it's the deepest part on the team either. So there could be a little bit of concern there. I could see where those would be. And, you know, we talked to Coach Collins, a cornerbacks coach today, about, you know, although there's a lot of teams in the ACC that have either a new head coach or a new OC and preparing for all of that and getting ready for all of that. And, you know, there's no there's no secret here. It's a challenge. This is a challenging concept to think about where, you know, right. like a, a guy in Virginia, like Tony Elliott's, the perfect example a lot of experience at clemson has coached up a lot of good players, a lot of good quarterbacks. What what flavors he going to bring to virginia this year? You know, you have to go to Mario Cristobal at Miami last week of the season, which I know might scare some pit fans to death. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> that one might not be that one, that one might not be as as rough as advertised, but at the same time, that's not going to be a cup uh, a cupcake walk either. So I mean, I think that's a good point. I think it's a good point about the secondary to note that it's not the strongest part of the team, but it's, it is. And it's also a, a unit that needs a little bit of work and maybe some seasoning involved too.
1: Right. So, Hey, that's a good football wrap up, I think. And we should touch on, uh, women's hoops. The schedule just came out and I want to see if you had any notes to, uh, share with everybody on that.
0: Yeah. Non-conference schedule dropped, uh, literally I think an hour and a half before we recorded today. Um, it's interesting because there's only one true road non-conference game on this schedule and it's the season opener uh, November seven at Coppin state, which is in Baltimore. So they go there and then they're back home for three in a row, George Mason, Bryant and Duquesne really cool to see Duquesne on the schedule. And then over the Thanksgiving holiday they will be in Fort Myers, Florida for the Fort Myers tip-off. They play Towson DePaul at Maryland on the 25th, 26th, and 27th in November. That's a cool tournament. I covered that tournament last year on the men's side. I believe this is the inaugural women's tournament, which is also really cool. Um, but that's a nice facility down there at uh, Florida Southwest University. Uh, Fort Myers really cool area, so that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. ACC Big Ten Challenge is at home this year. It's against Illinois on November thirty, and then the uh, non-conference three home games to close the non-conference Loyola. I believe it just says Loyola. I believe it's Loyola, Chicago Um, ball state, little action for you. And then uh, North Alabama. (laughs) So again, with the women's basketball non-conference, just one true road game. And then you got three neutral sites and then uh, seven home games in in that non-conference before ACC play opens. The only thing that kind of stinks about this is there's no ranked opponents on it. You know, that's one thing I would have liked to see, but at the end of the day, right. it doesn't matter that that all that much in, in terms of women's college basketball and really college basketball in general. You know, you think about it. And all
1: their games are going to the ACC network now, right?
0: So that starts in 2023. That came out the other day that uh, baseball tournament and women's basketball tournament games are going okay. to the ACC network. So the early rounds, um, as opposed to being on the regional sports networks. I believe for women's basketball, it was exclusive to Bally Sports South, which uh, okay. obviously in Pittsburgh, Forget it. You're not getting that. So instead of going to the RSNs, they're going right to the ACC network. Which, if you have an ESPN, you know, ESPN subscription, you pretty much have it. Your ESPN Plus, or if you just use like your cable login on the ESPN app, you pretty much have it. So um, that's really good news. I, I think that you know having the ability to see those tournament games, and obviously the the ACC and ESPN have a great relationship with broadcast network and in conference so um really cool to see that and it'll be nice to be able to actually watch some uh, tournament games here
1: well hey good stuff Corey. man good week we packed a bunch in and i think we gave everybody a nice diverse look at the university of pittsburgh this year this uh week so just keep trying to do that we're going to talk about all the sports and uh make sure that you uh come to us with some questions and suggestions about things you'd like to hear about. Corey and I would be happy to try to address things that we haven't thought of on our own.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In the comments it, on the website, you know, on DK Pittsburgh and the, in the post, the web post that this will be on put in the comments, you know, any questions, any comments, any thoughts, any, you know, did I say something stupid? You know, let us know. I mean, we're down to discuss. We're always down to talk about it. You know, that's, that's why we're here. We love it. So, definitely uh, reach out, shout us out, whatever you want to do. Please like and share the episode, too. It really helps out a lot. And, uh, Gary, good to be back with you. I'm sure we'll chop it up again. In one week's time, we will be within a week of kickoff. So, we're inching closer.
1: Absolutely. And how else can you finish an episode like this without saying, hail to Pitt?